And we are live, back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the Autism Sage herself. How are you? I'm good today. The sun is shining. That's always a good day for me. When the well, sun I messed up. up the intro. I forgot to say Mama Badden. Oh, <laughs> It's fine. I, I, that's probably the first time I've messed up the intro, like, since we've been doing that intro. I, and as I'm saying, I'm like, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, no. So we're off to a great start. <laughs> Stacey, you want to introduce our guests? <laughs> yes. I am super excited. We have um, Megan and Jules. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about the new book right away, or I just mentioned it. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure gonna, we'll, we'll, uh, get, we'll definitely uh, get to it. Yes, so. yes. I will. Uh, Megan, you want to start? Okay. I usually let Jules start everything. There you go. <laughs> Jules can start. Go ahead, Jules. You go first. Well, this is awkward. Um, <laughs> no, I'm Jules. Um, I'm an autistic parent of autistic kids. I do a lot of... Um, Disability justice advocacy, um, and I'm a writer. I didn't know that you were a writer. That's nice to know. What do you write, Jules? Um, I have, um, I started the autistic typing blog mm -hmm. online, um, and I co-wrote a book with Megan called I Will Die on This Hill. Oh. Um, and what else? I've written articles for other um, organizations and um, publications. Oh, I'll have to look for that. And so your co-writer, Megan, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Megan, and I do lots of different things. I'm a mom of four kids. Two of them are autistic, and one is mostly non-speaking. And my major passion is inclusion and um AAC and accessibility, and I do some writing uh, on my blog, Not an Autism Mom, and I also have a book club, which is where I met both of you, I think. No, well, I met Torin in the book mm -hmm. club, and uh, that's on Facebook, called That Awesome Book Club, and that's just a place where people gather and learn and talk, and it's like a little watering hole for everybody, um, and yeah, I'm a co-author of the book that's coming up. Yay, I'm excited. Do we want to just talk about the book now, Torn, or do you have a I, I kind of do, too. I just have to say, Jules, your introduction as a writer is so good, because I do writing stuff, too, blogging and all that. A lot of stuff you do, so a little bit of screenwriting. Whenever someone, whenever I say I'm a writer, they're like, what do you write? I'm like, duh, duh, duh. I, I do a thing with the thing. So you are so concise. I'm jealous. You are so concise exactly what you do. I like I, I gotta get better at that, but yeah, I want let, let's start with the book since um yes. it's it's current events and we're both we're all four of us are excited for it. Um, so what exactly? And either of you can start. What exactly is the book? What's it about? What's the title? The whole nine yards. Megan is just sitting back because she really <laughs> wants me to go first. She's so cute. Um, so our book, the full title of it is called I Will Die on This Hill, Autistic Adults, Autism Parents, and the Children Who Deserve a Better World. Um, and it's really about a lot of the conflicts that um, self-advocates have with abled parents who may be new to the world of autism or may be down a path of um, unintentional ableism um, and really having a starting point for conversations about how do we create a society in which autistic children and their families are supported the way that they need to be supported. Um, and we talk about a lot of issues, um, some more lighthearted issues and some really heavy issues. Um, I think that's, you know, the gist of it. That was a good, that was a good um, description. Yeah. I'm I'm like, where is the Amazon? It's not, I know it's not released yet. I'm just like, okay, can I start reading it tomorrow? Like, like click, click, click. Like as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh, wow. Because I didn't know what it was really about right i knew 
the context, but I was like, I wonder what it's, so I was excited about today. Um, I'm yeah, really that's, that's definitely like the context, but within the book, I feel like we, ta- we go over so many different topics mm-hmm. and we have a lot of different people that we invited to join us like on this project. And I feel like Jen Smith said it felt like having coffee with a bunch of friends and meeting a bunch of new friends because it's like it really is people just talking about what they feel is important and what they like just sharing their perspective on what's happening and like what's lacking and what's all of the harmful things that parents and autistic adults are going through mm-hmm. you know I, I will say i know i have a different um uh coming from a different uh, perspective and experience from the sort of education speech therapist perspective and you know i have lots of conversations with folks and uh you know who should say what what should be done everybody has their own opinion and um you know i am not like a fan of someone saying i'm an autism mom if they're not autistic right but i'm not going to spend three hours arguing with you about it because i have other things to do however I was in a conversation with someone and Torn, I think you've heard me share this perspective. I will say as someone who has been on the inside of education that I have never seen parents treated the way parents of autistic children are treated compared to parents of other children. And I don't have any statistics on it, but I can tell you when our parents walk in the door the schools automatically have a viewpoint. When someone walks in the door with a child with cerebral palsy or visually impaired or Down syndrome, everyone's excited. And that is why our parents are feeling like they are also disabled for lack of a better way to explain it because they are ostracized as their children are. And I don't think people are recognizing that. And I don't know if anyone's talking about it, but I see it all the time. I mean, I've never seen any other parent treated the way our parents are treated. And it's wrong, of course. I mean, we're all here at the table trying to shift the narrative, but I understand why parents feel like they can't because they are not able. They're not invited to the birthday parties. Nobody wants to come to their house, their children. I mean, it's, I don't understand it, you know, I really don't understand it, but I see it all the time. And of course, we're here to talk about how we need to shift that. (laughs) We just cannot sustain a world with that perspective. Um, So just wanted to throw that out there, because I do think that sometimes um, a lot of young, uh, young, like young, like this, and I say young, because (laughs) the 20 year olds, you know, this these 20 year olds are idealistic and I'm sure I was at 20, but the 20 year olds who are not parents, right? Who are angry at parents and yelling at parents. And I'm like, they're not gonna be able to hear you. And you also need to hear what they're doing. Like you guys are fighting every single day and other parents, they don't have to fight as hard. I don't don't care what anybody says. They do not have to fight as hard. Um, So you guys wrote a book so that parents can fight hard, but maybe easier learning from others. Is that what I'm hearing? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, go ahead, Jules. And we talk about exactly what you were just discussing about the fight, mm-hmm. um, the fight for services, the fight for access, the fight mm-hmm. for inclusion, the fight for all of the things. And it is exhausting and it wears you down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a secondhand exclusion almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so autistic kids experience so much exclusion, whether it's in social situations or education or um, extracurricular type stuff, there's so much exclusion. Well, and the parents experience a secondhand version of that. And like I've, I've experienced it both firsthand and secondhand as a parent. and it is, it's painful in both ways. And as a parent, like, I'm sure that other parents will relate to this and some other parents might sound, think it sounds strange or whatever, but I care more about my children's well-being than I care about my own. 
I would sacrifice myself for my kids and I will fight for my kids in any kind of way possible. So sometimes the exclusion that they experience it, like it cuts deep. Um, and I'm not saying that that's, um, more important than what autistic people face ourselves because, you know, we experience it directly, but as a parent, that pain of witnessing our children (laughs) facing exclusion, um, you know, and the, the bullying, the, um, abuses that is hard. That is so hard. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think what's hard for me is typically the majority of the harmful bullying that I see comes from the adults, not the other children. I'm not saying other children don't do things, but I can say that people are just mean. <laughs> I don't even know how else to put it. Um, they're just mean and and I will never understand it. And I'm with you on that. Torin knows I will, I, my children are 23 and 25 and I will run, still run to a burning building to get them out and knock down everybody <laughs> in my way to get there. Um, and now that I have a grandbaby, now I've got to go save her, right? That's one more person for me to <laughs> uh, to fight for. Wait, but, wait, um, wait, 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 I, I need to, to hold this. I thought, and I'm shocked, you said uh, you care more about your kids than your own well-being, Jules. I thought having kids was just so I could post stuff on Instagram and get <laughs> likes and have people compliment me on how good of a parent I am. Like, that, that's Dang. what I thought. Like, I'm shocked. That too. No. <laughs> oh, no. Did I mess up? I messed up something socially. No, I'm just kidding. You put um, your children first? I mean, what kind of mother? I, I know, right? That, that, that sounds so... That, that obviously, I'm being very facetious. For yes. any new listeners, we have 95% of what comes out of my mouth is like bitter sarcasm. It's basically a coping mechanism at this point. But I think I that... Love I, I love what you said, Jules, because that is so important where parents have to remember they're parents. When you become parents... Your life revolves around your kids. I, I can't think of a nicer way to say it, but it's true. Especially if you have kids in general, but especially if kids with special needs and you have to make accommodations and uh, almost, almost have you almost have to bully people to get accommodations for your kids. Like you have to like browbeat them because society doesn't want to give them accommodations. You, you have to. It, your life revolves around that and. I think it can help a lot of autism parents to not center themselves so much. That's why, Megan, your handle on all your social media is not an autism mom, because part of the quote-unquote autism mom thing is this thing that they're the victims. It's happening to them. Their lives are affected by autism. And whenever I hear that, I'm just like, oh, my God, shut up. Like, I, I get where it comes from, but, like, stop the annoying victim mentality. We talk about that in the book as well. I mean, we talk about all of this in the book and we don't have all the answers or anything, but our book is a starting off place for that. And it, and it just gives so many different perspectives on exactly what we're talking about right now, because I mean, a lot of that mentality comes from just the societal, like the, the stuff that we're consuming right? Like the commercials and the advertisements and like just the, the harmful rhetoric that has, has followed us ever since whenever, um, what was that guy's name? Skinner and all of those people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it, it's harmful. And I feel like my world changed once like in my perspective changed and a lot of unlearning happened, like when I found the autistic community and that for my part of the book, that was kind of like the point was basically like, you know, I was here, I was feeling isolated. I mean, it's, that's, it is, it's isolating and it's like disheartening and maddening. But once I found the autistic community and I started like learning from their perspective a lot changed for me and I don't feel as isolated anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I found a community that has my, my kids best interests at heart. And that was not true before. Yeah. That's really, um, thank you for sharing that story. 
I, I was just thinking, I like to share stories and they pop in my head. And so when you said that, where you found the autistic community, I remember going this and remember, this is way back when before social media. <laughs> and um, I remember a, a, a bunch of us speech therapists went to a conference and it was like a, an autism conference, which wasn't you like that was not something you could find 20 years ago. Right. So we're excited. We're going to this. And I said, OK, I need to find um, uh, autistic people. I need to find autistic people and talk to them. And they're like, Stacy, that's like so rude. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to know what to do if I don't talk to the autistic people? And they're like, well, you can't just walk up to people and say, hey, are you autistic? Can you tell me about autism? I was like, well, I wasn't planning on doing that, <laughs> but I was like, like anything else. If I was going into nursing and wanted to be a pediatric nurse and I went to a conference, I would find nurses who practice pediatric nursing. Like, how am I going to learn if I don't learn from the people who are actually having the experience? But back then, that was not something that was even thought about. Like, what do you mean? Talk, ask an autistic person. Um, like I said before we started the recording, thank goodness we are in this midst of technology and we have access to one another. Um, yeah, lots of stuff, I guess. I just don't remember. It's been a long time. Uh, so, but I would love to know for our listeners, if you, when you think about when you started writing the book and developing the book, what were sort of the top, maybe three to five target audiences of, and I, I know that like parents, but like specific, like for new parents or for like, what did you guys kind of think about when you thought about the target audience for the book? For me, I would say the number one is um, the parents who identify as autism parents. Mm -hmm. um, and the ones specifically who got that 100-day kit from Autism Speaks and send their kids to, you know, full-day services. Mm -hmm. And um, the ones who've been disempowered and maybe feel like they don't know their kids as well as the professionals know their kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say something that I hope people can absorb without, like, a really big reaction to it, but... Um, we can recognize that certain professionals are experts on, you know, maybe the topic of autism as, you know, maybe how the neurology works. A neurologist would know. Um, an occupational therapist would know how the sensory system works. Um, but parents know their individual children the best. And a lot of the time, and Megan talks about this, is how when a child gets an autism diagnosis, the parents suddenly feel like they don't know anything. They lose their power. They lose their confidence. And Megan went through that. I think I didn't go through it quite the same way. Um, but I just became really, really curious because I'm the kind of person, if I'm, if I don't know something, I have to figure it all out. <laughs> so, um, the people we wanted to reach are those parents who are disempowered, who, um, need more information um but maybe don't know where to start maybe the ones who have felt like they've been bullied online by autistic adults because i know that's a feeling that a lot of parents experience whether that's the actual reality of of you know the full context of the situation but a lot of parents feel like they may have been bullied and so that's my number one goal audience i love that i can, can take two or three <laughs> I mean, I feel like that is like that is the running theme through the book is our story of um, how we met Jules and I and like our relationship was super contentious at first. Right. Like I thought that Jules was being mean to me and like saying like how I'm doing all of these things wrong and, you know, like calling me a martyr mom and all of the like and I didn't even know what that even meant. Like, what is that? I don't know. Can I call um, you a martyr mom? Yeah. <laughs> I did. I thought I just yeah. called you an autism mom. No, no, no. I mean, they're pretty much interchangeable, yeah. honestly. So you know what I, I mean, but I didn't even know like what mm -hmm. she meant by that. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was that is the running theme through the book. And Jules, from her perspective, she didn't she didn't think anything like she didn't think that was happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like my perspective. Mm -hmm 
was completely different from her perspective. She thought she was being helpful to me. I didn't know that, but it took us a while to like come together and like kind of drop our, drop our egos or whatever. And that's like the running theme through the book. So it, it shows that like, it can happen. Like, even if, you know, you start out in that kind of contentious way, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to stay like that because really the one thing we have in common is wanting our kids to be more supported. I mean, that is what we want. We just maybe didn't have the skills to go about it back then. Or, you know, I don't know what it was. We didn't have the skills. I don't, I don't feel like, and we didn't have, I didn't have the background knowledge. I didn't even know, like when we first met that there was an autistic community. Like I didn't know that. So like, I feel like that's just a running theme because we, we try to highlight the mistakes that we made because n- none of us are perfect. Wait, what? You're, wait, you're not perfect? No, I'm not. <laughs> only on social media. Yes, I only on social media. That's why I hate Instagram in particular. Instagram's like a highlight reel. Like I love Twitter. I think I said this during the book club when when, when I was on your book club that year back. I love Twitter because Twitter's like the lowlights of people's lives. It's just the most effed up things in their minds yeah. coming out. And I love it. I love the honesty. That's what yes. I love about Where YouTube. Where I go to scream into the void. Yeah. That's what I love about YouTube. That's what I love about... I- I've had my issues with the autism community. One of the things I love about the autism community is just the honesty and the rawness because I'm someone... I, I just don't like fakery. And I just... I-, I Honestly, I can't wait to read your book because mm-hmm. the-, the wealth of knowledge, which I've already said, but the wealth of knowledge and just... Man, I can't put in the words. I'm I'm, I'm just excited. And I'm, I'm glad you guys did that. What 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 had you what decided you to do a book in particular? I know you have the book with, with, with both of you have large social media platforms and and you have the book club and you have other mediums to get your message out. Megan, I think it was you. You mentioned that Jules quote unquote Volan told you. To, no, it was the opposite. All the way around. Volan told you. <laughs> To write, you volunteered Jules to write a book. What made you want to write a book of all things? It, it, can can you pause on that just for a second? I because I, I really want to go back to what both of you said in terms of your target audience and the 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 journey that the book brings you on. Because I want our listeners to know that what I heard, the message I got from both of you is, it's a journey for parents to discover how they want to learn to advocate for their child. And I think that what I love how you said um, in terms, Megan, of I didn't know we had different perspectives. And I think that's the part that is a struggle for parents when they feel like, like, you know, like they're being yelled at because it's like, I didn't even know that was a thing, right? It's like, I didn't know it was a thing. And, it, you know, I, I, I guess I can, uh, match that to the young folks in the scenario with the LGBT community. I'm like, listen, I'm old. You guys got to give me like a memo every day of the new terminology. Like I cannot keep up with what am I supposed to say now? Um, and I'm in the community, right? And I still need a a, a manual. Um, but I think that, that what I love about your story, because I love it when we go through life and we have things that start contentious and then you end up building something that's so solid uh, because I think parents need to know that. I think that educators need to know that. Um, it's okay if it starts out rocky, and it usually does because you're coming from two different perspectives with two different experiences, and you don't know the other person's experience. But you can't get to it until you do what? Decide, I'm going to break down that contention. Um, so I love that. And I just wanted to stop just for a minute because I really want listeners to understand why they need to take this journey and read this book because it's not a how-to it's to help you discover how you want to based on learning from other people's experience and i haven't read the book but that's what i'm getting from it so i feel like it's also important to say that this would be like we include a lot about doctors and psychologists and and the harm that some of them cause, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time talking about that, about how, you know, the things that I learned about my kid 
And the messages I, I started getting like on day one of the autism diagnosis, like I really hope that professionals like in the medical field, like psychologists, everyone, because really most, most of these pediatricians and doctors, they don't have a lot of, of training and development. They don't. And that's why they do the checklists, right? Because they want to, you know, find the red flags or whatever, but like all of the pathologizing that they do, they, they come from such a place of authority mm-hmm. and that comes with a lot of responsibility that I don't think that they take, I feel like they take it a little too lightly mm-hmm. and the messages that parents are getting about their kids are just, it is a disgrace. Yeah, it is. And, I, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that because the stuff doctors say is bad. Just on, I think on our last episode we recorded, or one of them, I mentioned off the cuff how I don't always support telling parents telling kids they're autistic unless they're struggling because I don't want to put labels on people because I had labels slapped on me when I was eight and it pretty much really affected my entire mindset and not for the better because I'm 30. I was diagnosed when I was eight. It's like two. I'm bad at math. It's going to be like 2000-ish. Yeah, 2000. And back then, even now, but especially 20 years ago, their view of autism is your life is over. They ain't called autism. They call it Asperger's. But you're, basically your life is over. Like everything mm-hmm. they would say, you're never going to go. To, they tell you all stuff. They tell the parents all the stuff the kid won't do. They won't go to high school. They won't finish high school. They won't go to college. They won't be able to have a family. They won't be able to hold down a job. They won't have kids, yada, yada, yada. And then... My, these doctors would then tell me that as I got older, my dad told me all of this immediately because I had a lot of issues with my father. So I was eight years old. I was basically told my life was over because my dad was told my life was over and then he imparted that on me. And mm-hmm. once I was old enough to read, I'd read all the books that were available. And the books basically were just written by doctors saying all the things we couldn't do and how we're all sociopaths and things like that. So I grew up thinking I'm screwed. Like my life, my life ended already. And that definitely had a mental effect. So I really hope your book and your message can reach some of these doctors so they're more careful with how they talk about this stuff to parents and to and to autistic individuals because it has it, it has a real damaging effect. I think it's negligent that they don't learn from the people, mm-hmm. the community they're treating. You know, like I feel like that's, I feel like that's a problem. We, we just then, did, sorry, I'm going to we just did an interview. It's probably going to come out after this one, but we did an interview with a uh, woman who does, she actually does ABA. It was our first interview with someone who does ABA. She does like a different type of ABA. And she mentioned that she thinks her mom has Asperger's. She used the phrase Asperger's and how she went to an autism specialist. She's 40 and she went to an autism specialist two years ago to see if she was autistic because she felt like she had a lot of the traits. and. The doctor diagnosed her with five different disorders that if you put them to, you know how that goes. And they put it together, it's, it's autism. Yeah, it's like, but he said, you know, this yeah. wasn't, he, she said this guy was a quote unquote autism expert. And he said, the reason you're not autistic is because you have a business, because you have a job, because you're married. That's not in the DSM. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's like, it, it, so it's ridiculous. Like, and this is supposed to be an expert. I had that done to me. I had a quote unquote expert once tell me, I was trying to get into a school. There's a school for autistic individuals, a high school for autistic kids. So he works with autistic kids. And he was interviewing me. He was some basic stuff, like what you like to do for fun, yada, yada, just basic stuff. And then after five minutes, he slams his fist on the table and goes, you're not, and turns to my aunt. Doesn't talk to me. I don't exist. Turns to my aunt and goes, Torin here is not autistic. And the reason he's not autistic is because he just held a back and forth conversation with me for five straight minutes. And my aunt had never, my aunt was like, like frozen, like, I'm sorry, what? Now, she's not one of those people who like openly reacts, but she was like in shock. And I'm like, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, I was in shock too. I'm like, I'm like, he's basing it off just that. And it just, it just, it baffled me how these experts, and I'm under no illusions, these quote unquote experts aren't probably going to read the book because their head's up their ass. But I'm hoping there are people who are like on the fence, who just don't know any better, who can mm-hmm. read your, who read your book and who are like, Okay, let me talk to more autistic individuals. Let me do some more research in the right places. There are autistic individuals like Karen Rose, for example, who's a favorite, I think, of all of us here, who has all the credentials they do 
who can tell them about autism and how they can be more autistic friendly. Like the autistic experts exist. So even if they want to be elitist and say, well, I don't want to talk to some person on Twitter with no expertise, there are autistic people with the expertise who can tell you and help you not be so close-minded for lack of a better word. Well, and I think that there's something important to, to think about from what you just said too, is that we automatically discredit autistic experts about autism because they're autistic. And that happens a lot. And I've been told that I'm just a blogger. Like that's what somebody has said to me before is that I'm just a blogger. And I'm like, do you, do you know, because I just finished a fellowship through the LEND program, which is leadership, education, and neurodevelopmental disabilities. I finished that a little over a year ago. And then from there, I um, served as um, the, for the AUCD is the Association for University Centers on Disability. Um, That's a national network of um, USED. This is a lot of acronyms and that happens in academia, but it's University Centers of Excellence Mm -hmm. or something like that. I was the um, National Training Directors Council trainee for a year. I don't know what more I could do to prove that I know things about autism Mm -hmm. other than, you know, serving my community and, you know, participating in academia and, and not only participating as a learner, but like contributing and being part of the trainings. And, and you're given. a parent of autistic children as well. I'm a parent. I, I do a lot of stuff, but I'm just a blogger, I guess. And that's fine. I'll put that on my business card. Just a just blogger. A blogger. You should but really do that. That'd be, that'd be hilarious. Yeah. Just a blogger. Just a yeah. blogger. That's my that's new funny. bio. That's, that's, blogger. Blogger. that's so funny. awesome. When, when we were writing the book, like we were just coming up with a proposal for the book and the, the publisher wants all this information about us. Right. And so like, I have like three things like, okay, well, I was a teacher. Uh, let me think. What else? I don't know. And then here's Jules's bio. It's like two pages long of like all of these things. And I'm like, I didn't even know these things existed. Like, I how know. did I get in on I some I hated of writing Stacy's bio for when we started the the podcast. I've mm-hmm. I've run most of social media when we had social media. I read I run the social media and the website and and like I put it up on the website and wrote the bios and stuff. I hated. No offense, Stacy. I hated mm-hmm. writing your bio because there's just so much stuff. Because she has so much experience. You're you're certified in like everything. And she's 20 years of experience, special ed teacher. And so I had to like, like I had to pare stuff down. But then I have to put my own credentials next to that. And like literally basically just a blogger. Basically, I'm older like, than you. I've lived longer. Yeah, bigger font. Exactly. I put my, because I've done stuff, but like most of it's not like, a lot of it's not autism related. I've worked in education and like I've won awards for writing and things like that. But first of all, I hate talking about that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And second yeah, of all, it's like compared to hers, which is like the took up the whole like you had to scroll down on my computer. I had to scroll well, down. I'm like so much older than you. I've worked for more than thirty five years, and 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 that's really what it is. I've just worked a lot. Plus, I just never stay anywhere long. Just don't. You've I, also I remember, lived. You've lived everywhere too. I, I do a lot of. Um, I remember when my dad. I took this job. Uh, I I always worked with. Uh, I was the babysitter for the kids in the neighborhood with special needs. My mom would come out um, in the backyard, and she's like, "Who is that child with Down syndrome in the backyard?" I'm like, "Oh, Miss Becky's grandson's here for the summer." She's like, "What? You know, like veterinarians bring home stray kittens. I'm bringing home neighborhood kids, right? Like that's all what I always did." <laughs> And I remember I took this, this job for, to do something with kids because I was trying to practice my sign language for speech therapy. And my dad said, well, well, how much are they paying? And I said, oh, dad, they're not paying anything. I'm just, well, 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 why are you doing the job? And I said, for the experience. And that is my entire life. Like everything is, well, let me try this because I have to like, I'm going to take Megan's class again because it's a different experience. <laughs> But it's really that I've had opportunities. I'm not a academic numbers letters, and I don't even probably talk about half the stuff that I've gotten, but I just think that we learn from each other and like, you know, just the fact that we're here now and have this platform. Um, it's just so, it's just wonderful because we 
I don't think we should stay in our little circle because then we don't grow. I mean, we just don't grow. I know people like to stay in their circle and their comfort zone and, and fine. Um, you know, I'm a New Orleans girl and I love New Orleans. I love being in New Orleans. I love, uh, you know, growing up in Louisiana. I had to leave because I could not do anything related to autism because no one wanted to do anything. So I had to leave because this is what needed to be done. And so I say that to bring back to, you know, what you guys are doing in terms of, and I know you guys have to answer Torrance's question. I, 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 I sort of threw a loop on that one. Um, I just want the, I really want listeners to really understand why it's important that whatever they do, whether they're parent, grandparent, educator, therapist, whether you're just somebody that likes to tap into different podcasts just for random reasons, everybody needs to go on this journey because autistic individuals are in our community and we all need to understand so we can work together. Um, and it's important. Uh, so I will stop talking. And and what was your question, Torin? It was, what made you guys decide to write this wonderful book that's going to shift people's perspectives? Oh, thank God you remembered it because I forgot. <laughs> I've just been listening to all this dope stuff and it just, it, it slipped my mind. I feel like you already answered it though. You want to make sure it gets to audiences that could be on the mm -hmm. fence, could be influenced by your work and make it easier for autistic individuals and make it easier to advocate and all that stuff. I think that's awesome. One of the things, oh, what were we going to say, Stacey? I'm about to take this conversation to left field. So speak now, forever hold your peace. Okay. So you said why you wrote the book, who your target is. What is your biggest fear about releasing the book? Can I answer that? The jewels okay. jumped up like so I got this. Yes, I got this. My biggest fear, honestly, is that the people who need to read it won't read it. That is absolutely my biggest fear because mm -hmm. there are people who need to read it and who can learn a lot. And you know what? There there are parts of the book that are going to make people angry. There's not probably a single person who's going to read the book and agree with every single thing and like every single thing in it. And right in the introduction, I'm just like, listen, you might want to throw the book at some point. That's fine. Pick it up later and mm -hmm. come back to it. That's okay. Mm -hmm. um, That's why it's coming out in hard copy first. So it's yes, more durable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's more durable for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, that's the big fear for me. Um, I, I don't care so much about like, I don't know how to say this. Like, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a marketing person. I'm not like a, I hate the public eye on me. I want people to read what I have to write or hear what I have to say and like ignore me as a person. But I feel like so much of, the way the world works is kind of the opposite. They want to see who you are. And it's a very neurotypical way um, to experience the world. It's like this person is so-and-so and has all these credentials. So they're the authority. And so we should listen to what they have to say. But really, I just want people to like be open. And I am afraid that people like the Finding Cooper's Voice Mom um, <laughs> I'm afraid that they're going to sell more books than us because yep. of appealing to yes. the feelings of people. Please tell me she doesn't have a book. Please tell me she doesn't have a book. Yeah. Oh fuck me, Jesus Christ! So yeah. there's um there's a there's a problem locally. So she's local to me. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. It's that sucks. tough. It's yeah. tough. She's local to me, and she was invited by um the state to attend an event and be a person at the event and and it's kind of raising a ruckus here i, so, I love how that just this just keeps getting worse yeah and i'm just sitting over here like this is how it goes though like mm -hmm. the it's the culture of our country it's just our country's culture has just it's just so I joke with Megan that she needs to record herself crying about something so it yep. can go viral Yep. so that mm -hmm. the people who need to read our book will know that it exists. 
and read it. Yeah. You need to do it. This is autism style video making where it's like, where you just talk about how hard it is to be an autism mom and how you had all these expectations. Like you're you're just gonna have to do it to sell the book. Like Jules is absolutely right. Like you're gonna have to bite the bullet on that one. I'm gonna gonna do, I'm gonna gonna do some things. Like I'm gonna do it, I promise. I'm gonna do something. It's really because misery loves company and happy people don't need company. And that's why. I think that, yeah, I mean, but I think that it's the entire culture. And and we talk, like seriously, everything we're talking about, we talk about it in the book and we break it down. I mean, I call it the the oppression Olympics. Yeah. Whoever has the saddest story Mm -hmm. wins all the money. And that's why we, like to what Jules was saying, like this book, is not gonna, it's not a feel good book, right? It's not gonna make anybody feel like we're taking care of them. We're not, we're not, like it's a- It's not a safe space. It's not a safe, it's not a safe space book. It's, a, it's right? a, as my grandma would say, it's a come to Jesus book. We're gonna come <laughs> to, we're gonna sit at this table and we're gonna have a come to Jesus talk. That's what my yeah, grandma and, would say. And honestly, yeah. like that's, that's part of it. It's like, you know, we're not stroking anybody's ego. It doesn't matter who you are. It's, and we're not downing anybody. We're just talking about what's happening. And some people Mm -hmm. don't want to hear that. Some people just want you to tell them how great they are and how magical, like they make life. And this is not that type of book. So I think that's part of it. And then like to what Jules was saying, like, we have a lot of perspectives in the book. And we didn't give anybody any sort of coaching on what we wanted them to talk about or what we wanted them to say, whatever they sent in. We didn't edit it. We threw it in the book just the way it is. Like some of the things me and Jules say don't agree with each other, Mm -hmm. right? Some of the things that that our contributors say, they don't go together, right? Because everybody has a different perspective. So it's it's a weird kind of book in that sense that it's not, it doesn't really like fit any kind of mold. It doesn't go in any kind of like category. So that's kind of, it's different. So, I mean, I feel like some, some people don't like different. They don't want to be uncomfortable. People don't yeah, like a lot to- of, Exactly. A lot of people, Stacey people put best on like stuff. Like and we, and we, we talk a lot about like the big, organizations like we talk about autism speaks we talk about that 100 day kit and so what is that 100 day kit for our audience the 100 day kit is something that autism speaks came up with Mm -hmm. it's like a pamphlet right for the first 100 days after your child's autism diagnosis and i'm sure it's very i'm sure it's very well thought out and autistic centric and well, there have been multiple martyr. versions of it. There have been multiple versions of it. And the one that I talk about in the book is the one that was published when my kids were diagnosed. Like, I think that maybe there have been three versions of it. And you can't even find that version anymore. Like, they're so good at hiding it. Yeah, they, like, they bear, Autism they, Speaks is really good at burying shit. They they're really good at that. But luckily, our good friend Alex Constein is like the human database and he <laughs> has PDFs of everything. Like he's got the receipts. So, I mean, like we, we do, we go hard at different, um, I don't even know, uh, work. Uh-oh, did you freeze? Yeah, Megan froze. She looks like she's about to sneeze. I was just about Um, to say that. She froze at a point and she looks like she's just about to sneeze. So, yes, we went hard. But without, you know, getting in trouble with anyone. Their legal team, the publisher's legal team, um, approved everything. So, (laughs) that's good. That's Um, that's pretty good. Yeah. People need to... I mean, I don't understand how how we can make change and and grow as a community if people don't sit at the table with uncomfortable conversations. It's the same with race. Like, why? Like, so we can't talk about it, but it's here. Like, we're all sitting at the table. (laughs) Like, it's obvious that we're all different, but we don't talk about it. Someone's always someone gets offended, and this is this not a political thing. Even though I do do a lot of political stuff on the podcast, 
someone's always offended by something and people don't like listening to opinions they disagree with. And that's yes. every that's an everybody's statement. But sometimes you do have to speak truth to power. Megan has done something I'm very impressed with, where you've had like Autism Speaks Facebook account, like the verified Facebook account, call you out by name. Like that is one of my goals for this podcast. That is one of the goals. The other goal is to get canceled so I can end up oh on Tucker Carlson and then complain about how I've been canceled to 100 million viewers. Like, but that, that's like the end goal. But can I add goal, another one? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So another goal as an autistic advocate, you're not really an autistic advocate until you've been blocked on Twitter by Shatner. Who the hell is Shatner? The star. Oh, William Shatner. Yeah, that asshole. Yeah. yeah. The guy. But he genuinely detests autistic people. Oh, yeah. He, he hates, like, like, like I don't really know what the hell is wrong with him. He, he hates autistic like it's yeah. not just it's not just misinformation like Stacy yeah. it's not just misinformation like normal stuff like he's like an autistic hate like he doesn't he he says he doesn't see autistic people as like human like it's like hateful wow. I'm like what the hell did we do to you that's kind of serious wow he's, he's I laughed weird, in though. his view or something and that's you know, you were, um, no Jill's earlier you guys were talking about the dynamic of you didn't realize that she was feeling like you were bullying and and um, I posted something in this group. She called me a troll. She was bullying me too. It was, you know, oh. so it wasn't just one side. I know here. we probably shouldn't no. say names on the podcast, but I kind of don't care. So who who it was calling you a troll? I did. No, it was oh, Megan. 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 Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was a few of them. I yeah. had someone. I had a parent and an autistic individual in the group. Literally, do like background checks, like Google search me, messaged me yelled at me and I thought like do they need like a job like do they just have a lot of spare time some people have a lot of time I've had that done with me too some people have a lot of spare time I do not understand why if whatever I said but you're literally blocking me and then doing research and then like sending me screenshots and I'm like I I don't understand why we're doing this and of course I didn't respond because I'm like I have other things to do with my time right now but it just was insane the way the swoop down and, you know, you're right. Sometimes the parents, uh, like you said, they just don't know. They're trying to figure it out. And then um, everybody, it appears that you're being yelled at. Um, and and I think Tarn and I, we've talked about, we, I think we did a podcast on the social skills and, the, and I do talk about communication differences to try to help <laughs> parents understand their child is not really being rude they're just stating a fact and i know we don't like it when our children state a fact and they're right um it's a hard pill to swallow <laughs> um i just love it when kids are i just i love i've always loved savvy kids i love kids that push back i love kids that because those are the kids i know are going to make it those are the kids the i know spicy are gonna ones safe. i love yeah. spicy mm -hmm. autistic kids more yeah. than anything yes. that's yeah. that's what i call the the tell tell it like it is kids the i'm living my life the way i want to live my life and you yeah. can fit in or get out exactly. like i yes yeah. i have my youngest is um very spicy and it is like my favorite thing about her is she's like she is great like you don't even need to teach this kid about boundaries because mm. she just knows she's like I'm I'm over here doing this thing. You do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And um, if I say or do anything that doesn't sit right with her, she is perfectly comfortable telling me. And like, as a parent, I'm perfectly comfortable apologizing when I mess up because we parents need to learn humility and need to teach our children by example yeah. how to, you know, interact with others. So when we mess up, we apologize or whatever. But that I love spicy autistic kids <laughs> also the thing about the thing i love how you call it spicy autistic kids mm -hmm. i love that the thing mm -hmm. is though the autistic kids they're going to need that your daughter is going to need that too because you have to be able to self-advocate as an autistic person as you know jules you basically have to just yell and bang and stamp your feet metaphorically and sometimes literally to get people to listen to you so mm -hmm. that's something it helps if you have it early on because at some point you're going to need it and it mm -hmm. sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah. One I, thing I, I, um, sorry. No, no, I'm not. I'm done. Go, Tarin, go. One thing I did, I did want to bring up, Jules, is as an 
autistic parent who's also, so as someone who's autistic, because I always get tongue-tied, someone who's autistic who's also a parent of autistic kids. So I say mm -hmm. that three times fast. Yeah. What are, I always ask this to my, to autistic parents we have on, what are some of the challenges you have as an autistic individual who also has to raise, who's also raising autistic kids? Because I, I imagine there's definitely some unique challenges that like neurotypical parents don't have. Yeah, the, there's so much actually. It's um like conflicting access needs. Like I have some very stimmy kids and I'm kind of sensory avoidant. So sometimes it's like, all right, I'm going to go in this other room while you do this thing. Um, You can go ahead and do that, but I can't be around it because it's, it's really hard for me. Um, Like I have, what is it called? I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Misophonia. Where if I hear face noises from another person, like where they're smacking when they're eating or breathing too loud or something like that, oh, it just makes me videos. like... Un oh, you would hate me. I smack when I eat. I, I can't help it. it everyone hates it. Everyone then around me hates it. I turn on a loud it. fan. So I have to find the solution. So we have like a really loud fan over the microwave. So I'll turn that on or I'll play music or something like that. But also the executive functioning and the miscommunications and the things like my son will think he told me something, but maybe I either I didn't remember it or he thought he told me and he forgot to tell me, you know, and we try to make sure we never blame the other person and say, oh, well, you didn't tell me or, well, you don't remember it. And we'll both own, well, maybe I forgot or maybe I forgot to tell you. Because that's super important to have that sense of humility of like, well, I could be wrong. I don't know, but let's fix it. Let's do it now. Um, and the, I have, <laughs> my kids are impulsive. There's a lot of broken stuff in my house and it's never out of anger over here. It's always like, oh, I want to reach this thing way up here. So why wouldn't I stand on the handle of the stove? to reach the thing and or they're jumpy so they'll jump on the couch you know I go through couches like nobody's business because they jump on them and they're not small people anymore you know that it, it it breaks when you You're are a certain size and you jump Ooh. on things huh and so we're currently couchless at our house we're yeah. in right now Every two, three years, I'm getting a new couch and it may not be new, new. It might be like used new or whatever, but, um, I mean, the things get broken and, um, that's hard. And it's really frustrating too, because like I grew up, my family did not have a lot of money, so I'm not used to being able to like, um, replace things. So when something is broken for me, it's like, <gasps> and, and when my kids were little, we were we were poor. <laughs> like we were very, very poor. And we, you know, we dealt with the homelessness. We dealt with um, food insecurity. We dealt with a lot of stuff. And so now like financially we're stable now, which is fantastic. But there's still also that trauma of being a poor person and having to figure out, well, we're going to have to go without or how am I going to afford to fix this thing? You know, so that's real. But I, I don't know how you handle all that because, like, like I came from similar circumstances. Like, like I don't mm -hmm. have kids, and I don't plan on having kids because the prospect terrifies me because of everything yeah. you just mentioned. And I grew up in the projects, single father, drug addiction. Everyone listens to podcasts, knows the story. I come kind of messed up circumstances, so I definitely feel that when stuff broke in our house, which did all the time, because between having an autistic, sensory seeking kid that I was, and yeah. my dad was just high all the time so when you have someone who's high shit just breaks in weird imaginative ways that you're like how the hell did you anyway so shit breaks so stuff would just stay broken <laughs> for years or we just use it if it still had some use we just use it so definitely i vibe with that and i think that's just so impressive to be able to deal with all that while having three kids you have three right mm -hmm. three kids yeah. they all have special needs yes by having three kids with special needs, that that's just I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. Like I'm like I'm stressed just thinking about that. So that's just so impressive. You, you and, acclimate because you just get one at a time. Well, no, <laughs> sometimes like Megan, you get two at a Megan, time. Didn't Megan, didn't you have two, didn't whatever, have two but... pairs of twins or something, Megan? Well, I have, my older kids are stepbrothers, so that was kind of like you know kind of eased into that one. But yeah, then the twins. And aren't the twins, the twins are both on the spectrum, right? 
Oh yeah, that's, yeah. And they you're, were you're from- another one. I don't know. I, I don't know how you four kids. I don't, I, I don't know how you I, deal. I with don't. That. I, I mean, like I'm just. It is what it is. It's not like I'm doing like a great job at it. I'm just like. <laughs> I just wanted a house full You're of You're not getting it out of the park, Megan. You're doing great. Says, I'm doing You're, you're doing right. it. You're doing it. You're doing it. I always want to- Can I say something children. before mm-hmm. we move on? Yeah. It, and something in the book that I want Jules, like that I learned about from Jules and I learned about it from other autistic parents is like the whole IEP meeting situation and like adding on top of that, like accommodations that the parent needs. You know what I mean? Like adding that that layer of ADA compliance to IDEA and all like just that whole stacking thing of like the parent needing accommodations in order to attend the meeting for the accommodations for the child is like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know. I want and, to and I'm sure both of you I have been want. in IEP meetings, right? Because I know Stacy has for her job, she has to go to IEP meetings. I'm sure you've both been in IEP meetings. You understand how lovely those are. They're hell. I don't <laughs> do them anymore at They're all. They're hell. I don't do them anymore. <laughs> nope. I yeah. quit. Um, my kids don't. Well, we homeschooled mm-hmm. for a few years now. Um, I don't. I don't do IEP meetings anymore because. They refused me re- reasonable accommodations during IEP meetings. I went to an IEP meeting in my resident school district for like the first time and they scheduled it at the high school and it was supposed to start at the same time that the high school classes let out for the day. And I walked into the building. I've never been there before. I don't know where I'm going. And there's this huge like crowd of high schoolers coming out of the building towards me. And I'm oh, like, Oh God. Yeah. I know that I'm feeling. Yeah. So I, you know, I go to the office, try to find out where I'm going or whatever. I find where I'm going. I get there. And then I need to excuse myself. I find an empty room and just cry for a minute because I was like so overwhelmed with like the sensory environment of it. Yeah. And so I like, I took like five minutes or so to just like, this is so hard. Oh my God. And then I went back in there. I had to pull myself together. I'm dysregulated and I still have to pull it together for my kid for the IEP meeting and try to be productive and all this stuff. And it's like, y'all, you guys knew Mm-hmm. Guys knew, yeah. and that's even before having to listen to all the bullshit they're writing the IEP. Yeah. Exactly. I, we 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 exactly. did an episode about a month ago, or maybe a little more now. Where I read my aunt and between my dad and my aunt, uh, they kept all my old IEPs. I just had to clean out my apartment because it's being renovated. I'm currently living in another location because my apartment's being totally renovated. So I had to clean out all the junk, which sucked. My dad was a pack rat, and one of the things he had was all of my IEPs. From like almost all my IEPs time I was three, to like IEPs evaluation time I was three to like when I graduated high school and I read a bu- I condensed them and read a bunch of them on air, like it was basically gaslighting Palooza. Like I was reading, I the person who diagnosed me, like I had the official diagnosis, like in writing, they wrote that uh, Torrin is fragile. Fragile was written in bold, by the way. Like it was doing in both Torin, they very he mentioned is a very fragile child who likely has Asperger syndrome. Like just wrote about me like he hated me personally, because apparently I had during I don't remember this, but during the interview I basically acted up and I didn't want to sit still and stuff like that. So he took this shit personally and basically just wrote like I was just an awful child who hated him and all that stuff. That was my official diagnosis, talking about fragile and angry and all that stuff. And he, so that was the diagnosis everybody else got from the time I was eight. That's the diagnosis my dad got. And everything else is just as bad. All the other IEP stuff. And you remember that episode. And mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know how you got, like, I, I, I don't think I could deal with it if I had a kid and they were gaslighting the kid the way they gaslighted me. I'd lose my shit. And I'm sure you guys know what that's like. Oh, I, I literally made a conscious decision two years ago when I was sitting in my car in tears and I said, I can't do this anymore. I can no longer sit at a table with incompetent people who are incapable of understanding anything that I'm saying. They never follow through and they're just lying to the parents. I I, I was like, like my health. I mean, I was like, my blood pressure was up. I wasn't sleeping. I was like, I can no longer do this. It's been 35 years. You have to just stop. And so I just told my parents, I said, I will prep you for it. I can no longer sit at the table. Um, but I, Torin, you, you just, when you were talking about the IEP, uh, you know, and the stuff that, that 
people say um, in the context and, um, you know, just, and you, like you said, you guys have all been in the meetings and, and I remember this meeting and I'm listening to these people say things. And at some point I said, sir, doesn't that just sound wrong? <laughs> doesn't it just sound wrong? Like, do you hear yourself? Yeah. Right. Now? Right. And, exactly. and he, he paused. And of course, you know, all the, you know, sped people like, Oh, what, what, what is he going to say? And he looked at me and he says, ma'am, I don't know what I'm doing. I have had no training. I've had no support. And you're right. It's wrong. And I said, okay, so can we stop wasting? And I was on the phone. Like this was an IEP that my pa the parents in New York. I said, let's start from you guys messed up. You don't know. How are we going to provide what he needs? And how are you going to find out what you need to know? Why are we wasting time in circles? Like, I don't you know what? I like this person. Oh. I can, I can deal with the income. Exactly. I can deal Just with that. No, and we will not. Help. Don't add confidence. On top, like, don't add yes. like the confidence on mm -hmm. top of the not income. knowing what you're talking like, about. Yes. You know what yes. I mean? Like, I can deal with incompetence any day. Yeah. Like, we can. If work you're with willing that. to learn, exactly. But, but don't put the arrogance over top. Right, well, Megan. Don't talk well, about Congress that way. <laughs> uh, years and years and years ago, I had a kiddo who had the wrong classification, and I was like, "Oh, we need to reevaluate." And this was when we were just getting. I feel like I was part of history of the influx of kids. Right, I remember we had one, and then five, and then ten, and then twenty, and forty, um, and. Um, I was trying to make sure we got services. I'm like, we need services. We need training. Like if we don't give kids the right classification, nobody knows we have to service these kids and we need training. We can't say we only have three kids. We need training. No, we have 300 kids, but you guys don't want to put it on paper. So she refused to change his classification from developmentally delayed to autism. And we finished the meeting and it was a glass mirror. And, and my student was, um, who sadly, my student literally randomly died on a Friday, like no reason, like high fever spike hospital, Kit never came back to school. It was the saddest thing. But he was sitting next to me and I said, all right, Kit, we're going to, you know, go back to class because I always brought my students um, if I thought um, they could participate into certain meetings for a portion of it. And she saw him stand up and flap his hands. And then she comes out of the principal's office because she saw through the mirror and she says, oh my gosh, Stacy! Now, mind you, I took the bulletin 1508, gave examples to say, this is why, this is why. Well, you didn't tell me that he was flapping his hands. I said, because that really is not how you determine someone is autistic. It wasn't relevant. Uh, well, then we need to change it. Okay. I didn't know that was all I had to say. Whatever works. So later we're in the hallway and, and she said, you know, she's her little heels and I'm like not really wanting to talk to her. And, and she's like, Stacy, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I just don't know enough about. And I said, I don't have a problem that you don't know. My problem is that you're not trying to find out and it's part of your job. <laughs> like that is my problem. Like it's part of your job. Yeah. And I love I, how you just you just straight up tell people that too. Like she was once having Stacy was once having an issue with a coworker and Stacy was explaining how the co how another coworker was saying, Well, so and so thinks you don't like her. And Stacy goes, Well, I don't like her. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> On that That's note, I, would, I, 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 I work would, with you. I can I, still work with you. I don't have to like you to work with you. I would love to keep going. This is great. We I try know. to keep this episode's capped at about 45 minutes to an hour or a long trip to the bathroom. Currently, we're at the length of drinking a chocolate milkshake when you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> so, uh, Megan, Jules, any last things you'd like to say before we get going? First of all, where can we find the book? Where can we order it? All that stuff will be in the description, by the way. Yeah, um, it's on Amazon. It's on all of the things now, so that's good. Here? It's that on is yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Book Depository. Yep. Um, it's currently on pre-order, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah, and it will be released in January. Um, 
and yeah, like we're really excited to be on this journey with y'all. Thanks for having us on. No, no problem. Thank, thank you for coming on. This is, and yeah. we're gonna, I'm gonna rush this episode. Normally, it's a few weeks, so we have backlog. I'm gonna rush this episode out to get it out um, by next week's episode to make sure we usually release on Wednesdays to make sure that we can get this out while there's still buzz going for the pre-sale because I want people to get the book and read it and to really help shift the narrative because Stacy, that's why we're working too. Okay, I'm going to pause again, Torin, just because I can. <laughs> She's like, screw the outro. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm going to challenge listeners because I think that um, I would like to um, minimize your fear, Jules. So all of you out there listening, um, I anticipate that you're going to purchase the book and I'm going to challenge you to purchase the book and gift it to someone who needs to read it, but doesn't know they need to read it. And then invite them to meet you for coffee to talk about it. And with that said, I would love for you all to come back in February or March and let's maybe bring one or two folks who have read it, maybe I can find someone, I will take the challenge on and let's talk about that. So that's what I would like to say because we are all here to shift the narrative on everything autism. Yes. I can't wait, I can't wait. Good luck, I hope the, I'm hoping pre-sale, the, the pre-order is going well. Um, good luck on the release, we'll definitely have you back on and thank you so much. Thank Bye. you. See ya.